Hey leaders, before we get into this episode, I wanted to tell you about a free event that I'm hosting, your personal leadership audit live workshop. I've put the workshop together because if you want to stand out as an exceptional leader, you have to know yourself inside and out. Understanding your strengths and weaknesses is critical. And for that, you need a high degree of self-awareness and a commitment to self-reflection. Now, if you're committed to unlocking your leadership potential, then working through a self-assessment like this is going to help you to quickly identify a path to higher impact. I'll be leading you through a deep dive into the seven imperatives of my No Bullshit Leadership Framework, so that by the end of the session, you'll know exactly what areas you need to develop if you really want to stand out from the crowd. We're only opening up 150 spots, so register now at yourceomentor.com forward slash workshop. That's yourceomentor.com forward slash workshop. Are you selling a little or a lot? Either way, Shopify helps you do your thing. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did-we-just-hit-a-million-orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. It helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. In fact, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And now you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Most of the business owners who listen to No Bullshit Leadership want to go large. What's so cool about Shopify is that no matter how big you want to grow, it gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash leadership or lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash leadership now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash leadership. Hey leaders, M here. We're finalizing Marty's 2024 speaking calendar and he still has a few opportunities available. Now you've experienced the impact that Marty has on the podcast, but that's only a tiny fraction of the impact that he has when he delivers an in-person keynote presentation. If you'd like to book Marty to speak at your organization's event, go to martingmore.com or send us an email at hello at martingmore.com and we can chat about how to tailor his powerful message to your leaders to achieve real results. All right, now back to the episode. Welcome to the No Bullshit Leadership Podcast. In a world where knowledge has become a commodity, this podcast is designed to give you something more. Access to the experience of a successful CEO who has already walked the path. So join your host, Martin Moore, who will unlock and bring to life your own leadership experiences and accelerate your journey to leadership excellence. Hey there, and welcome to episode 192 of the No Bullshit Leadership Podcast. This week's episode, Bias Rules, okay? What really drives our decisions? I had a lively conversation with one of my close colleagues a week or two ago about cognitive biases. After I made the sweeping statement that almost all of us are affected by biases in one way or another, she was adamant that she's absolutely not driven by any biases, which ironically is a sure sign of what we call blind spot bias. 
Now, after that conversation, I thought it was about time I took a bit of a dive into this topic. I talk about decision-making frequently, and many of our decisions can be tainted by the inbuilt unconscious biases that we don't even know are guiding our behaviours. It's quite common to hear about the biases that underpin discrimination on the basis of gender, race, and sexual orientation. But our inbuilt biases operate way more broadly than this, and they can have an oversized influence on the outcomes we experience if we don't develop a keen awareness of them. So today, I'm going to look at some of the more common biases, the ones that we pretty much all suffer from on the odd occasion, and I'll tell a few stories about how I've learned to deal with them over time. In researching this episode, I went to the most reliable website in the world, Wikipedia. Now, the wiki page on cognitive biases listed over 150 different types of bias. Now, of course, I won't be dealing with all of these today. I'm basically just going to go through three general areas of bias that we're all likely to suffer from in our decision-making processes, with six examples of each one. First, biases that limit our self-awareness. Then, biases that affect our judgment. And finally, biases that straight-out deceive us. So let's get into it. Let's start with some biases that play on our self-awareness. Number one is self-serving bias. We think that our failures are situational, but our successes are down to our own efforts and good judgment. This is one of the most common biases that you'll see in senior leaders. When something is successful, they talk about all the things they did to make it successful, as if their good management was the only factor. But when something goes wrong, they're quick to point to the external factors that they couldn't possibly have anticipated, saying either directly or indirectly, that the failure shouldn't be attributed to them personally. And this is a classic part of organisational politics, and I know you've all seen it. But an even darker side is that this inhibits learning. And eventually, you've got a whole lot of senior people running around who just believe their own bullshit. Number two is spotlight effect. We overestimate how much people are paying attention to our behaviour and appearance. This is a really interesting one, because most people give much less thought to us and what we do than we might imagine. I guess because so much of our own time is tied up in being self-absorbed, this disproportionate weighting of our own importance to others can be exaggerated. But it changes how we behave in the moment, because we're too worried about what other people think, and we don't realise that they're so self-absorbed in their own shit that they generally don't give us a second thought. I used to use the line in my head to get over this, and I can't remember where I first heard it, but it's an absolute cracker. What other people think of me is none of my business. Number three is false consensus effect. We believe more people agree with us than is actually the case. Now, we have a natural tendency to think that others agree with us, but this is amplified by the fact that when people do disagree, they usually don't tell us. And it's made a lot worse in a leadership context by our seniority. As we get higher up, we find that yes men and yes women are in plentiful supply. They make an absolute art form of telling us what we want to hear. As a good colleague of mine told me before I took my first CEO role, Marty, all your jokes are going to become just a little bit funnier now. My antidote, look for signs of dissent. And... This could be just lukewarm comments, or 
body language and facial expressions that are almost imperceptible. And you always have the option of asking your trusted advisor, but do something to test the water. Number four, objectivity illusion. We believe that we observe objective reality and that others are irrational or uninformed. And this is where empathy is really important. We need to be able to tap into the curiosity that comes from asking ourselves one simple question when someone puts forward a viewpoint that doesn't align with our own. I wonder why they believe that. If we give other people the benefit of the doubt for their intelligence and experience, it might just be the case that they know something that we don't. Number five is the Dunning-Kruger effect. Now, you've heard about this, so I'm not going to talk too much about it. This is basically the fact that the less you know, the more confident you are. And conversely, the more you know, the less confident you are. And it's so common. Now, research has shown that people tend to vastly overestimate their own ability in all sorts of areas. And the Dunning-Kruger study was entitled Unskilled and Unaware of It. Still my favourite research paper name ever. I used to often use the expression, he doesn't know what he doesn't know. And this is why it's important to have a continuous learning philosophy. As I like to say, the older I get, the less certain I am about practically everything. Number six, the last of the biases that plays on our self-awareness is the IKEA effect. We place higher value on things that we have partially created ourselves. I also like to call this white line fever. The more time and effort you put into something, the more committed you are to seeing it come true. This is such a common fallacy in things like mergers and acquisitions. Because we put so much energy into thinking about and planning an acquisition, key pieces of data are often ignored on the way through because they don't support the continued march towards deal completion. This gets some way to explaining why so few M&A deals are value accretive. They more often than not destroy company value. Sometimes the very best deal is the one you don't do. Let's go on to talk about some biases that affect our judgment. Continuing from where we left off, number seven is the halo effect. If you see a person as having one positive trait, that tends to spill over into other traits. Boy, how often do we see this? My biggest bugbear, a good individual contributor isn't necessarily a good leader. But really competent technical people get promoted. And then the halo of competence and intelligence hangs around them, even when their leadership is abysmal. This is maybe one reason why there are so many smart, experienced and capable executives, but so few great leaders. Discussions at talent management sessions I've had over the years confirm this. Many executives talk about their people in glowing terms, based on only one facet of their behavioural performance, expecting that everyone will suck up the fact that this flows over into their broader capability which is why a really strong talent management process looks at a number of things. It starts with a multifaceted assessment of people's performance. It includes their behavior and conduct, and it examines the relationship between performance and potential. Number eight, bandwagon effect. Ideas and beliefs grow as more people adopt them. We see so much of this in corporate life. Most leaders wait until the senior person in the room or the opinion leader 
talks, and only then will they nail their colours to that mast. I always preferred to be a little contrary. It wasn't always well received, but my leadership brand has always been to speak my mind, and to say the things that many may be thinking, but very few will actually voice. I must admit, though, that I did get run over by the bandwagon on a few occasions. Number nine is confirmation bias. We tend to find and remember information that confirms our existing perceptions. Wow, this is one of the really, really big ones. It's always been hard to escape confirmation bias because, let's face it, we all like to have our existing views reinforced. But in the last 10 years in particular, this has become almost impossible to avoid. Why? Because our news and social media algorithms are actually designed to learn what we like, to find out what we already believe, and then just service more of that. Just try it out sometime if you haven't observed this already. Start watching a couple of videos on TikTok, Instagram, or Facebook, and then notice how many of these become directed to you. My remedy for this is to push myself to intentionally listen to stuff that's outside my belief system. Just be sure that I'm exposing myself to different views of thinking. When I pick a podcast for my morning exercise, I don't always choose one I'm going to enjoy. I choose one that I think I may need. This allows me to challenge my own political views, enhance my appreciation of world events, and it helps me to learn more about subjects that I might dangerously think that I'm already expert in, like leadership. <laughs> Number 10 is optimism bias. We're sometimes overly optimistic about good outcomes. Now let's face it, it's really important to maintain an optimistic disposition. I talk about optimistic pragmatism. And it makes a big difference in business and in life. But you need to be aware of the downside. And if you're not careful, it can really skew your decisions. I don't know how many major investment proposals I've examined over my corporate career. I guess it would be hundreds of proposals in the $1 million plus range. And probably 50 proposals in the $100 million plus range. But one thing is common in virtually all of them, including the ones I wrote or sponsored myself. They overstate the benefits and they understate the downside risks. Now, this is where it's really useful to have tools like De Bono's six thinking hats when you're looking at a major investment. You can assign someone to wear the black hat, metaphorically speaking. In other words, you give them the task of finding all the problems, issues, and potential downsides. And this can be extremely valuable in overcoming this bias and getting greater balance into the discussion. Now, I've got to admit, number 11 caught me a little bit off guard. Illusory truth effect. We're more likely to believe that something's true if it's repeated a lot or if it's easy to process. Wow. This one wasn't a big focus for me, but as soon as I read it, I thought, well, of course. And how often do we hear people make unsupported statements of opinion and present them as if they were facts? My favourite question, when faced with a statement that appears to be getting a life of its own, is this. What's your evidence for that? It can be really powerful in breaking conventional wisdom and combating the illusory truth effect. Now, the last bias that I've picked out here that affects our judgement, number 12, is frequency illusion, or the Bader-Meinhof effect. We rely on immediate examples that come to mind when we're making judgements. 
Have you ever noticed when you buy a new car that suddenly they're everywhere? If you've just purchased a red VW, it's almost like they've just suddenly appeared out of nowhere and it's magically become the most popular car in your town. Of course, there are no more of these now than there were the day before you bought the car, but you just notice them now. Now, because of this immediacy effect, it's important to have people around you that have completely different experiences. And it's also good to ask questions like these. What other factors are at play here? Or is this a point in time observation or is there an observable trend? Or how has this changed recently? You've got to be constantly testing the frequency illusion. All right, finally, we're going to look at biases that deceive us. Number 13 is anchoring. We rely heavily on the first information introduced when we make decisions. And this is critical in terms of negotiation. I've been asked the question a number of times, Marty, in a negotiation, should I make the first offer? Well, I'm not going to go into that here because, of course, it depends. However, you need to know that the first bid gives you an anchor point, And that's how you psychologically evaluate the rest of the proceedings. To give you a really simple example of how this works, I'm sure that many of you have, at one point or another, haggled to purchase something in a market. Now, in many Asian countries, haggling with a vendor to get the best price is common, and they are expert at anchoring. So when you ask the question, how much, you give them the opportunity to set your expectations. When you're in the Hutong market in Beijing, and they say an item will cost you 100 yuan, which is about 15 US dollars, that's automatically where your mind goes from that point. So you counter, they counter again, and let's say you end up at 60 yuan. Now you think you've just got a great deal, because you knocked their first price down by 40%, and you congratulate yourself for being a kick-ass negotiator. You don't actually see the reality, which may be that the item actually cost about 15 yuan, and they would have been ecstatic to sell it to you for 20. You've actually just paid three times what you needed to to buy the item. But hey, it's chump change and it's entertaining. Just be aware of the dynamic of anchoring bias. Number 14, sunk cost fallacy, also known as escalation of commitment. We invest a lot more in things that have cost us something already, rather than altering our investments, even if we face negative outcomes in the future. This bias is a little more insidious. If we were totally dispassionate in our decision-making, we would always look at future outcomes as realistically as we possibly could in order to decide what to do. But human nature compels us to look backwards. On several occasions, I've been forced to cancel projects because they presented an unattractive commercial outcome going forward. Now, one of the biggest of these had already sunk almost $70 million, which needed to be written off when the project was scuttled. I've got to tell you, it takes a pretty strong constitution to recommend that a board writes off $70 million, even if you know it's the best course of action. But here's the important thing. The $70 million was already gone. There was no way you were getting it back. And absolutely no sense in putting good money after bad. That would just compound the felony. So always look forward and assess the future risk and reward. The fact that you may have sunk a bunch of money is regrettable, but completely unavoidable. Number 15, gambler's fallacy. 
we think that future possibilities are affected by past events. Now, talking of chasing your money, this is a classic bias. Try this little exercise. Go and grab a six-sided dice and start rolling it. You may observe some patterns. For example, if you don't throw a six in 25 throws, you'll feel as though it has to come soon. So what's the probability that you'll throw a six on your next throw? Well, it's one in six, exactly the same as it was on your first throw. Each throw is an independent event, and it isn't influenced in any way by past events. This is a critical truth to understand in both business and life. All right, let's cover the last three biases that deceive us. Number 16 is planning fallacy. Everything takes longer than we expect. When I was a young project manager in the software business, I had a real problem with one of the undeniable facts of projects. Most of them fail. And despite all the years of undertaking software development and integration projects, how is it remotely possible that such a high percentage fail to deliver what they promise? I did an old episode on this a while back, episode 89, Are All Projects Doomed? And that's definitely worth having a listen to if you have an interest in projects. But planning is always a problem. Everything takes longer than we think, and we never seem to learn this. As a project sponsor or steering committee member, you have to really look out for one key statement from project personnel. We're behind right now, but we're going to catch it up in the next phase. Well, guess what? It never happens. It's impossible without changing something. There are only four levers that you have to make a material difference to project progress. There's cost, scope, quality, and time. And they're all interrelated. So you need to always be awake to planning fallacy and to discount any statements made by people in the planning phase accordingly. Number 17, framing effect. Now we draw completely different conclusions from the same information depending on how it's presented. Let me give you a quick example. If you heard on the news, road deaths are down dramatically this year as 500 people have died on Boston's roads. This is completely different to hearing. Road deaths are out of control and the Massachusetts government has promised to spend an additional $4 billion on road safety initiatives as 500 people have died on Boston's roads. Your perception of those 500 road deaths depends entirely on the framing. Beware of this, because framing can be used just as easily for evil as it is for good. As a way to give important context, it's invaluable. But when it's used as a tool to convince you of something by cherry-picking the information that's presented, it can be extraordinarily misleading. Alright, the final bias number 18 is illusory correlation. This is simply believing patterns that aren't there. My favourite, of course, happy workers are productive workers. That's simply not true. And it causes us, as leaders, to do dumb shit that we really shouldn't. We tolerate substandard behaviour and performance because we want to keep people happy. This is supposed to be confirmed by academic research, but research can be highly prone to bias as well. For example, there was a study conducted in Denmark about 10 years ago which found that three pints of beer a day is actually good for you. Now, according to this study, beer can help to prevent cardiovascular disease, diabetes, 
and high blood pressure. And apparently, it can also lower the risk of osteoporosis, especially in postmenopausal women. Three beers a day, with a maximum of 21 per week in conjunction with a healthy diet, of course, is the recommended dosage for men. And this plays right into my confirmation bias. Now you can see how these biases can have a huge impact on your beliefs, opinions and actions. The only way to combat this is to assume that in every case, there is some inherent unconscious bias pulling you in a certain direction. So get into the habit of asking yourself good questions and get out of the habit of operating on autopilot. It's often really easy to see other people's biases, but so hard to see our own. So stop giving yourself the benefit of the doubt and learn how to be strong enough to challenge yourself as much as you challenge others. All right, so that brings us to the end of episode 192. Thanks so much for joining us. And remember, at Your CEO Mentor, our purpose is to improve the quality of leaders globally. So if you haven't already done so, please make sure you rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on your favorite player to help us reach even more leaders. I look forward to next week's episode because it's about time we had another Q&A with M. Until then, I know you'll take every opportunity you can to be a no-bullshit leader. 